I speak to you in the name of the one who created us, the one who redeemed us, and the one who is loving us still. Amen. White church quiet. White church quiet. That is the phrase, that's the hashtag on Twitter and Facebook that I fear seeing after every instance of racist violence. Now, I tend to have a lot of church nerdy friends on social media, so maybe I'm the only one who sees it. But white church, quiet. The church can be too quiet about too many things, of course. We're too quiet about poverty, and we're too quiet about violence and war. We're too quiet about too many moral issues that the church ought not be quiet about. But whenever hashtag white church quiet appears again as it has been after the awful events in Charlottesville and the ensuing war of words, I feel ashamed. Perhaps too many churches are quiet in the face of injustice because we fear that we will be too political that people maybe only come to church for comfort, not for challenge. But speaking up against sin is the church's business. And we've been hip deep in issues of race and racism for a long, long time. After all, Christian scripture and symbols have been co-opted throughout history to justify slavery and segregation. But just as true Christians, black and white, have also been brave in their work for the abolition of slavery in the 19th century and out in front of the civil rights movement in the 20th century. So when we are hashtag white church quiet, we should all be heartbroken. But I suppose silence is an all too human response when people are in pain, asking for help, for mercy, and we feel guilty or powerless to help. So often when we are faced with the raw pain of another, we try to ignore it. We hope it will go away, that perhaps we can turn to something more pleasant soon. And if that doesn't work, we take comfort from our friends who assure us that this isn't our problem, or maybe this person is just too demanding, they're too much, too over the top. And even if that doesn't work, if that doesn't shut the person up who is begging for help, if that doesn't relieve the burden of listening to another's pain, why we come up with a good excuse, a reason we can't help, at least not now. That's human, isn't it? Can't we all identify with these responses when faced with another's pain? 
When walking by a person in need, it's easier to pass by without speaking, avert your eyes. Or to reassure ourselves that if we help by giving money, it will only be misspent. Or finally, we might explain to the person why we can't help. Not right now. We've all been there. It's understandable. We're only human. What's shocking, however, is that in today's reading, we see Jesus doing the same. Jesus, who has just taught his followers that nothing can defile us except what comes out of our mouths because that's what comes from the heart. We can't be defiled by what we eat or who we are, just by what we speak. And then immediately, Jesus violates his own best teaching, his own noble ideals. A desperate Canaanite woman, a Gentile, confronts Jesus, desperate for help for her demon-tormented daughter. Have mercy on me, she cries. But Jesus says nothing. For centuries, we have heard those desperate cries from people of color who were enslaved, who were oppressed by state-enforced Jim Crow laws, who have been terrorized by white supremacist groups. Have mercy on us, they have cried. And too many of us have said nothing. Before World War II, we heard the stories being told by Jews in Germany, horror stories revealed by those who escaped. Have mercy on us. And for years before entering the war, we said nothing. We could name many groups who have cried out in similar ways, and too often the church has been silent. Jesus remains silent, but his disciples come to his defense, encouraging him to move on, stay focused on the work, get rid of this distraction, send her away, for she keeps shouting at us. Oh, think of all those times we have gathered those of like mind around us to dispel our own guilt how white northerners were silent because they didn't want to cause trouble with the South, of how we dismiss the cries of those crushed in the maw of the justice system because we don't want to question the police, of how we overlook gentrification because new construction and professionals moving in are always good for the neighborhood. We sent away those seeking mercy because it's upsetting distracting. Finally, Jesus tells the woman that he was only sent to the house of Israel, that he can't give away what is meant for the children of Israel to an outsider. He can't throw their food to dogs. And aren't we heartbroken when we hear that? Aren't we heartbroken that Jesus would compare a desperate woman to a dog? Heartbroken that Jesus, the one who fed 5,000 from a few loaves of bread, a couple fish, that he could suggest that there just isn't enough healing and mercy, enough love or attention to go around. 
but oh, oh, how we too think there isn't enough. How we blame those begging for mercy, finding reasons we can't help them, reasons they don't deserve help. This past week, many have spoken out, acted out against racism and anti-Semitism, thanks be to God. And yesterday, we saw an amazing outpouring in Boston. But there have also been so many other voices trying to gain distance from the pain. Voices claiming that things got out of hand in Charlottesville because the counter-protesters were violent too or Black Lives Matters is just as racist, or as people beg us for mercy, telling us from their lives that statues that glorify the Confederacy and its soldiers wound their souls, that they are monuments to a virulent ideology of white supremacy. People begging, begging the majority to see that neo-Nazis and Klansmen with torches and guns are terrifying because history has shown us what they're capable of. Too many of us give reasons why we cannot help. The statues are just part of our history. Free speech must be protected, whatever the cost. The Canaanite woman an outsider, unworthy because of her race, begs for mercy, for help, for healing, and she receives silence, justifications and excuses, blame and insult. Today, so many are begging for mercy, for help, for healing, too. In the face of great pain, our natural inclination too often is to draw back, to minimize, to get away from the pain of another as soon as possible. But the Canaanite woman is having none of it. The woman is met with silence and blame and excuses, and nevertheless, she persisted. She faces a very human Jesus, and she calls him into his identity. Even though she is not a Jew, she addresses Jesus as son of David, the title of the Messiah. She reminds him of who he is and all he is supposed to be. She calls him to be who he says he is, to follow his own highest ideals. She teaches Jesus the wideness of God's grace and mercy when she makes clear that there is enough for all. He can feed the children of Israel and the outsider. God's grace and mercy, they're not finite. It's not a pie that disappears after whacking out eight pieces for those who are already seated at the table. God's grace and mercy are an unending river. It runs free and clear, washing over all those willing to step in. And in that moment, in that moment, the all-too-human Jesus is called into the fullness of his being, 
Jesus' understanding of his call, of his mission, is enlarged. He is Messiah not only for the Jews, for his own tribe. He has been given for all. God's grace and mercy are not finite resources. There's plenty for everyone out there. Woman, great is your faith, Jesus says. And her daughter's healed. I know it's uncomfortable to imagine this about Jesus, but I have to ask, would Jesus have grown fully into his role as Messiah? Would he have given up his own life for all had he not allowed the Canaanite woman to keep challenging him? to make him uncomfortable, to help him grow in understanding of the power and the grace and the mercy of God. She kept asking for mercy, and Jesus listened. Finally, Jesus allows his heart to be cracked open by the pain of the woman in front of him by finally listening to the truth of her life rather than trying to ignore it or explain it away. And because of that, he heals her daughter. And even more, he too is healed. He is made stronger more loving, more gracious, more merciful. It is tempting to turn away when faced with the raw pain of another. It's tempting to try to explain why we're not to blame or why we're not responsible. It's tempting to explain why this problem just isn't solvable. But if our Lord can learn from the pain of another, if our Lord can grow so that he goes from thinking he's only come for Israel to understanding that he is for all of us, if our Lord can see that no one is a dog and there is enough for all, well, then can't we? No more white church quiet. No more. When our brothers and sisters cry out for mercy, we must listen. Allow our hearts to be broken open. Allow them to call us deeper into our faith as followers of Jesus and let us offer not crumbs from the table, but offer to move over and make room at the table that has always been set for all. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.